as my last assignment for theology, I have to give a speech on uh, some topic or, you know, lesson. I can't remember the exact specifications of the assignment, but it's quite broad um, in terms of what you get to talk about or how the speech is geared. But it's um, supposed to be on a books three through four of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, some topics or series of topics in that section. And so I'm doing mine on conversion and regeneration. Now, I already made a video about this, and it was a failure. And it was a really big failure because I'm I post just about anything. So for for me to not post something, it's obviously a really bad video. And because I don't really like to do the editing thing, I'm not going to take salient parts out of that video and put together a um, coherent video or anything of that nature. And because I thought, well, you know, now that I've got my outline more thoroughly down, because that video was really um, doing that was helpful for me in creating the speech, but it wasn't worth posting for and it wasn't worth anybody watching. And so I thought that I would, you know, try to um, become a better uh, video content creator by uh, not posting some stuff that's complete um, dross and then maybe having something that's a little bit better. So that hopefully this video is a little bit better. And what I'm going to be doing in this video is essentially uh, taking my outline of my speech and talking on it. Now the speech is six minutes in length is the limit. It's either five or six. I can't remember because I have to do a history speech as well. This, this last week for last assignment for history and that speech might be one of them five to the other six. Doesn't really matter because I'm going to go look at the assignment and I'm going to, you know, practice more. But I thought I'd just make a video on this, partly because it's a rather easy thing for me to make video on right now. And I know that I'm going to need some videos because I don't know how well I'm going to be keep able to be producing videos, which is fine. I just don't know what my schedule is going to look like. I have a lot of videos that I want to do. I have actually a, well, it doesn't really matter to show you guys, but I have a whole list right here. This list is full of, yeah, all these different things. Um, some of them are not necessarily videos for me to make, or some of them are things that I want to write or different things of that nature. But yeah, and then I have, you know, so I have a lot of things that I could do if I had more time to dedicate to this, but I don't, and that's fine because it's moving along without much time or dedication to it. And there are other things in my life which need more attention. And maybe if at some point in time I have more time to give to this, then more time will go to it. And so that's kind of the state of affairs right now. But I'll be making this, uh, take it as a rough draft, if you will, on um, my speech that I'm going to be giving on conversion and regeneration. It'll be longer than whatever the time period is, six or five minutes. And so, yeah, <clears throat> so that's what this is about. So in evangelical Christianity, especially in, in modern Christianity, and even now you have this word evangelical being thrown into other religions, such as with the Muslims, and then obviously the Mormons have a lot of this language inside of their religion at this point in time. You have this emphasis on conversion and regeneration, but especially on the conversion aspect. Well, this is my conversion story. This is how I was saved. This is how I came to Christ. 
Okay, so what does that mean? And so we have all these things swirling around, like what does it mean to be converted? What does it mean to be regenerated? What does it mean to have a conversion story? What does it mean to come to Christ? What does it mean to commit one's life to Christ? For example, I uh, serve in children's ministry program at my church, and we recently had the end of the year party, and one of the uh, leaders for one of the classes, I can't remember the class, it was either it was either the third, fourth, and fifth, fifth graders or was the first second and well it wouldn't kindergarten and first and second graders one of those two um i'm pretty sure it was it was the older one so it was the third fourth fifth and sixth graders um she got up there and was talking about her class and everything because we have an award ceremony so you all get up there with your class and i mean you guys know how this goes if you've ever had some program kind of like this and she was saying well you know we had a lot of kids early on in the year who made a decision for Christ and committed their lives to Jesus, and you kind of go, oh, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to commit your life to Christ at eight or nine years old? And this is something that uh, we kind of talked about in, in class in my um, school group for one of our latest discussions, and here I don't need the internet um, for my videos to work, but it was disconnecting. So I'll read something that I um, posted on Twitter. And by the way, I'm trying to use Twitter more now. So if you guys want to like uh, follow me on Twitter, that'd be great. And I, well, you don't have to, but I kind of like if you want little short snippets of thoughts and I, um, I, post links to things that I think are valuable and whatnot. So, and then I retweet things that I think are valuable. So, uh, okay. So this is, I'm at the end of the year celebration for a children's ministry pro ministry program at my church. The leaders are talking about kids who have accepted Jesus and made a commitment to Christ. What does it mean to commit to Christ when you're eight years old? Legitimate question. And uh, I had a response by Grim Grizz, Griswold Grimm, and if you're in the Bridges of Meaning uh, community or these little corners, I mean, now people are calling it this little corner of the internet. They've been doing that for a while now. But um, Grim Grizz, I mean, I'd say that to say that if you're in these spaces, you probably know about Grizz Grimm. And um, he says, something the adults demanding it of them have likely not figured out themselves. And you know, that's a little bit of a cynical comment. And these are good-willed people who are serving in these ministries. But in, to some sense, I don't know how Grimm was wanting a person to take that comment. But in a way, I kind of think, well, do any of us really know what that means? So one of the first things which we have to establish then is we can't give anything to God. We just can't. Um, God is the foundation for all of reality. He's the basis for everything that is there. And in a real way, what is supernatural is underneath that which is natural. And maybe these terms are wrongly named because we think of the supernatural as being added on top of the natural, especially in the modern world, but it's not. It's underneath. It's it, The spiritual level of reality is beneath the physical level of reality, and it moves the physical in, in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. And this is one of the things that I'm going to start working on, hopefully, more and more and more, um, is looking into 
truth and what's truth. And you might think that's kind of esoteric and it kind of is, but there are a lot of ways in which this relates to every single um, movement and action that we take in the world. And so, you know, that's something which hopefully I'll be able to work on a little bit more now that um, I've got my senior thesis done and out of the way. And so hopefully that will be in the works and it will probably be a very, very long project and I may never get to the end of it. But we'll see. But at the basis of reality is God. And we can't give anything to God because God is there at the basis of what everything is. And he's also at the highest point of reality simultaneously. Now, one of the things which we have to realize, and this is one of the things which Lewis pointed out, which I thought, which caught my attention this time that I read through the book. Uh, I've read through the book before with a friend two years ago. And, uh, you know, different things stick out. And, you know, when you're in high school, you change a lot in two years and different things, you know, this and that changes and um, you realize more things and you hopefully learn more things. And so different things stick out. And this is going to be true of any period in life. But, you know, so it's a much different experience reading it right now than it was two years ago. Was it? It was two years ago. I was trying to think if it was three, but it wasn't three. It was two. Um, And what stood out to me this time is we must see our very selves as sinful, not just our actions, because a lot of the times what we'll do is we'll think, well, this thing which I have done is sinful, but not me, not at the very core of who I am. If I just try harder, if I just have Jesus to save me, then at some point in time, then I'll be able to, you know, do good things and not lash out in anger at certain circumstances that are unfavorable to me or not be um, prideful or not tell a lie or not steal or not, you know, do not do any of these types of things which are sin. And what we need to begin to realize is it's not our sin which needs changed. It's not our actions which need changed. It's the very nature of who we are. And only God can do that because we can't give anything to God, but God can give all to us. So this is at the basis of Christian conversion because we ask, well, what is a conversion experience? And what, what part do we play in such an experience? And I'm not going to you know, stake my claim in the monergistic or synergistic camps at the moment because, well, well, I am. I'm a monergist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a Calvinist, at least so far as I would like to believe. Other people would beg to differ. But I, so I would say, well, it's God who's working in our lives to bring us to him, um, voluntary or not, and we must begin to see ourselves as sinful, but it's only through the power of God. Now, once we begin to see ourselves as sinful, we begin to start to want to change, because in order to see ourselves as sinful, we don't see, oh, well, this is evil, and I'm going to keep doing it. Well, if you really believe that it's evil in the moment, then you'll stop doing it, and maybe that's a little bit of a volunteerist um, understanding of truth, but I don't think that it, or understanding of reality, but I don't think that it is because really the volunteerist um, perspective is, well, if you know that it's bad, then you won't do it. Well, you can, you can, you can know that something is bad, but you can still do it. Well, my, what I'm trying to propose here is a slightly different. It's like, well, you can know it's bad and you can still do it, but that doesn't mean that you believe that it's bad because you will follow your beliefs. And so there's well, I think that the philosophers who are in the volunteers camp commit a fundamental error. Well, not fundamental, but a slight error. 
I don't know why I said fundamental. A slight error in that they think that it's knowledge, but it's actually belief. Because, and then you could start to argue about, well, you know, do you know and believe and are knowing and believing different things? And, well, at least for the purpose of this video, yes, they are. And so once you start to believe that what you are is evil, you start to turn around by the grace of God. And you start to turn around and you start to act as though you are God's sons. Lewis has a chapter in Mere Christianity which says, let's pretend. We are a tin soldier trying to be turned into a real boy. We are human beings trying to be turned into God's sons. And so this is what's happening. This is what is going on is that we are the tin soldier acting as if we are a real boy. And so it's by that process of acting as if and by the grace of God and acting as if doing something and then by that doing becoming something. If someone who practices lying does it often, they practice lying often, they will soon become someone who lies. And because we are someone who sins, as I said earlier, it's not just our actions which are sinful, it's our very selves. But by the grace of God, we're able to act differently. We're able to pretend to not just be 10 soldiers, but to be a real boy. Then maybe little by little, we start to become a real boy. Maybe then little by little, we start to realize really that we really are made of 10. We start to realize really deeper than we thought before that we are sinful. And it starts by this process that we become more and more, dare I say, enlightened to the, dare I say, truth of our sinfulness and the truth of God's glory, of his righteousness, of his love, that we begin to become real boys. And so what are we doing? We're moving towards the light. And I know that sounds perhaps in our context new agey or um, sappy or something of that nature, but it's really not. We're moving towards the light. We're moving towards God. We're focusing on him. And we stumble and we step back into our tin helmets and become more and more tenful and sinful as time goes on in some ways. But at the same time, we become more alive and become real boys. And hopefully by the grace of God, by his power, by recognizing in our actions that he is the grounding for reality, he is the grounding for our change. Maybe by that, we are then able to grow in him. Maybe by that then we are able to see the light more clearly, see our own sinfulness more clearly, see our own need for a change at the very basis of who we are more clearly. And so we have two paths. We have the easy way, or we have the hard way. Now the easy way is to die. And that's what we're doing in this process. By the grace of God, by his power and his might, we see ourselves as sinful. We pretend as though we are his sons. We become more and more like him. We move after the light and we die. We die to ourselves. We die to our natures. We die to, as the Apostle Paul would say, we die to the flesh. 
And we put on the new person, the new man who's, who's being reborn. And we crucify ourselves. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul says that many, many times. That's what we're doing. We're becoming more and more like him by constantly giving ourselves up to God, putting God on the throne and taking ourselves off of it. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What's the hard way? Because that's the easy way. What's the hard way? The hard way is to pursue pleasure and that which is easy. And this is how Life is fundamentally paradoxical because on one end of the spectrum, you have well, what you want to do and the easy way to do things and the pleasurable way to do things and the sinful way to do things and putting yourself at the top of the hierarchy through which you act and serving yourself fundamentally. But in the end, that's the hard way. That's the yoke is not easy. The burden is not light. And you would think, well... This Jesus guy is kind of insane because he's saying, well, you have to die to me and you have to hate your mother, father, sister, and brother and take up your cross and follow me. And he says that this is easy. This is not easy. It's easy in comparison to the alternative. There's only one alternative. And it's the, and all of those alternatives are the, are antithetical to serving Christ and it's serving something else. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, but we do all the time. And that's the hard way, because in the end, it bears no fruit, and it brings no peace, because it's all reliant on us, or on something of our own creation. And so that's the easy way and the hard way. Perhaps we should be less concerned with a particular conversion experience, and more with falling more deeply in love with God. Conversion experiences obviously happen. They should happen, perhaps. Perhaps there should be some point in time where you can say, I was walking down the road this way, and I turned around, and I came back, and I started to come back. But the process of committing yourself to Christ, the process of, in evangelical language, being in a relationship with God, the process of becoming more like Christ, the process of being a Christian is a process. It is something which, which doesn't happen all at once. Little by little, bit by bit, we realize more and more that it is not ourselves who can save us. Little by little, bit by bit, we start to see our very selves as sinful, and not just our actions. Little by little, bit by bit, as we pretend to be God's sons, perhaps we become more and more like his sons as we look at the light, as we move to the light, as we move toward him. And little by little, bit by bit, we crucify ourselves. We take off our burdens. And we put on his burden and his yoke, his yoke which is easy, his burden which is light. And we follow him. We die to ourselves, painful though it may be in the moment. We see the meaning in it, the intrinsic, the intrinsic meaning that it possesses and the glory which awaits us at the top of the mountain. And that's an outline of my speech.
So, you know, one of the things to think about in all of this is that, well, aren't you saying that I'm, you know, one one could argue that I'm trying to say that uh, we do these things, but that's why I wanted to put it as fundamental that we can't give anything to God. All the good things we do are, in some strange way, only by his power. But is there a place in time at which one can say that one is saved? Perhaps there is. Perhaps that's a good thing. But to be a Christian is to live in accordance with the idea that God is most important, that God is what is most fundamental, that God is what we strive for more than anyone or anything else. And that's what we're after. So, that's what I'm going to be talking about with any luck. Conversion and regeneration. And the process of regeneration. Because it's not all at once. You don't one day wake up, go to a revival, have a emotionally induced conversion, and then decide, well, you know, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. It's like, yeah, there has to be one point at which you start to turn down the road. There has to be one point at which you probably say, you know, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. But is that is that the end? That's not the end. It's not even, is it even the beginning? What even is it? How do we categorize it? I don't know. All I know is that we have to look at the light. We have to look at God. And we become more and more like him by doing that. And maybe, just maybe, we should be less worried about conversion and more worried about loving God because that is at the basis of what we ought to be as his creatures. So, thanks for watching. And I'll, you know, if you have any thoughts, let me know. Um, this video will come out after the fact of my speech, but always, always, always wanting to, you know, wanting to know where I'm wrong and wanting to know where, uh, where I, where I could be, where my thoughts could be improved, even on a matter such as this. So, um, yeah, let me know what you think and, uh, thanks for watching.